From the beginning, a primary aim of the Waters and Harvey Show has been to engage conversations that hopefully cause us to pause, listen, and reflect on both the stories and experiences of others. By taking the time to listen and reflect on what others are saying, we hope that we are all gaining new knowledge, expanding our imaginations, which according to Albert Einstein is more important than knowledge, and deepening our wisdom. Marcus and I believe that if we are to indeed deepen our wisdom, time for reflection is essential. In fact, some of you may recall that in a previous show, we quoted Confucius, who said that there are three methods by which we learn to develop wisdom. The first is by reflection, which he identified as the noblest. The second is by imitation, which he said was the easiest. The third, which he categorized as the bitterest, is by experience. Wanting to avoid the third, we decided to use today's show to focus on the first, reflection. We have covered a lot of territory in recent shows and felt it would be good to take the time to reflect on what we have heard. We are particularly interested in revisiting the conversations we had about civic engagement and the ongoing debate around memory of the Civil War and the legacy of the Confederacy. We'll be joined again by a new member of our team, Ms. Malia Graves. Who are we and who do we wish to be have been recurring questions on recent shows. It's unlikely that they will be absent on today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. We're glad to be back here with you again. As always, it's a pleasure and I think a joy, Marcus, I would say, and you know, quite frankly, an honor to, to be back together again in conversation, not just between the two of us and whoever our guests may be on a given show, but it's an honor to be here with the audience as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... Uh, I'm looking forward to today's show because when I reflect on the last couple of shows that we've done, um, you know, it's it's high time that we, you know, uh, devote a show to reflecting reflecting on um, at least some of what was said um, over the course of the, of the last two or three shows because there were such rich conversations that deserve uh, really more than an hour, but I, I would say mm-hmm. at the very least um, an hour's worth of reflection. So I'm right. looking forward to today's conversation. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, Marcus. I, I couldn't help as I was doing show prep for this show to think about what you've said about these reflection shows before. You really enjoy them. I've never asked you, I'm wondering how much, um, how much fodder do you get as we're going through these uh, through these conversations for your classes does any of this material ever emerge in your classes there's there's a lot of overlap um been going in both directions so Mm -hmm. i find that uh oftentimes um i will uh integrate or incorporate things that come up um on the radio over the course of our discussions in class and also vice versa Mm -hmm. so 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 i think that the um not ironically but i think um um happily uh, the show and and my teaching have a kind of symbiotic relationship, a kind of symbiotic synergy that that, that has been um, uh, fruitful. 
over right. the past several years. And I share that. I share that uh, that that sentiment as well, Marcus. And I, the conversations that I'm in across the state, I find myself constantly referencing shows that we've done, and quite frankly, referencing comments that we get from members of the audience. So again, Marcus and I want to thank you all for being here and for joining us again to, today. We we want to thank you also uh, for uh, just being engaged in these conversations. I think it's great to know that we, we're not kind of just talking, you know, in in kind of a hole by ourselves, but this is kind of an ongoing conversation with you all in the audience. And I know that Marcus and I have said on a couple of occasions, because we know some of you so well as friends that we hope that everyone is healthy and well, especially given this period that we're going through. Um, Marcus, we hope people are actually getting their vaccines as well. So you and I have gotten our at least our first vaccines. And it I couldn't help but think about a recent conversation that I had with Dr. Luther Barnhart. Barnhart, who is here in our community just last year, you know, received an honorary uh, doctor from UNC Asheville. But he's just a really good friend, one of the best people in this community. And I enjoy talking to him. But he had reached out through email um, and just kind of encouraging us and congratulating us on the work that we're doing through the show. And he did say something to me. He said, do you think you guys could actually say something about, you know, the vaccine, that the vaccine is safe? And I reminded him in the email that we had done the conversation with uh, Dr. Rochelle Brandon, who talked about this as well. And so he was deeply appreciative of the fact that we had already done that show with her. Yeah, well, I, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to hear Dr. Luther Barnhart say that because I received my first uh, Pfizer vaccination uh, doses last week. And, um, you know, if it wasn't safe, it's too late for me. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know that it's safe. Uh, yeah, you, you know, it, and I think that um, this is really a moment, um, you know, that what we have lived through over the past year or so, we have lived through a major health crisis in this country. Um mm-hmm the likes of which we haven't seen since the Spanish flu of the 19 teens. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think that it's, it, it, it's, you know, people have to make a decision, you know, okay, how am I going to deal with this? Mm-hmm. Right? And, and I think the vaccination has emerged um, in the scientific community as a viable option. So right. uh, I'm, I'm happy to hear Dr. Barnard make that point. Yeah. And Marcus, I can't help but think right here a little bit about that conversation with Dr. Brandon. I mean, it was a very revealing. She re- she had uh, presented at the conference that we host uh, each year, the African-Americans in Western North Carolina and Southern Appalachian Conference. And she had talked about the impact of COVID on black communities. Mm-hmm. She's a practicing physician down in Charlotte working with a lot of people from marginalized communities that's been at the heart of her work. And, you know, Marcus, what one of the things she brought up in that conversation, not only is the vaccine safe and is that she's encouraging her her um, her patients to get the vaccine. Um, but she also talked about the impact, which was an issue that I didn't had not thought about until she brought it up, but the impact of COVID on black men and how, you know, the, the number of black men who have died from COVID has been greater than we, than we know that has been, has been reported. So I found that to be a very interesting piece of that conversation. So the members of the African-American community, this is something that we, I think we want to be thinking about uh, very, uh, intentionally. Yeah. And I was just, I would just repeat um, something that I mentioned on that show with uh, Dr. Brandon. I don't recall the specific numbers, but um, I, I made the point um, on that show that uh, despite the fact that, that African-Americans uh, make up a much smaller percentage of the U.S. population um, compared to their white counterparts, uh, our mortality rate um, it, as a collective 
is considerably higher uh, mm-hmm. than our um, um, white counterparts. Um, mm-hmm. And this is also despite the fact that as a collective, we are younger than our white counterparts. And so um, I wonder how those how those um, uh, how that data that data might look if we if we narrowed the scope to look specifically at black men. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, who knows? But uh, but yeah, I think that's all the more reason for for African Americans, for folks in our community, to seriously consider this vaccine. Right now, yeah, Marcus. I you know these shows that we've been doing with so many of our guests kind of connect up in ways that we wouldn't imagine when we put the shows together and bring the guests on. But when I was listening to Dr. Brandon talk about the impact of COVID on African American men, it reminded me of the conversation with Dr. Diane Stewart about her book looking at Black women and Black love and the end in America's war on African American marriage. And so this, you know, the impact of COVID and what we know about the disparities that exist between uh, different groups within our nation at this particular time and how COVID has really laid that bare. It reminded me of that co- that conversation with Diane. Um, I, I will say jokingly here about the conversation with Diane, that was a great show that we did and, and encouraged the audience to go back and listen to that show. But one of the things that you and I did is I think we did say in that in that conversation that Diane was actually your dissertation advisor uh-huh. and, and did your work. But I will say here, since Diane is not with us right now, that you and I were reading through Diane's book. And, and as black men, you and I were saying, OK, you know, Diane is spending a lot of time talking about black women and black love. <laughs> you know, where is the voice of African-American men in this conversation? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because D- Diane and I had a, a brief conversation about that when I first started to read the book. And, and I think her response was fair. I, you know, her response basically was, was well, uh, that is a book for, <laughs> for a black man to write. I'm writing from the perspective of an African-American woman. And I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, your point is well taken. I mean, mm-hmm. one does read the book and wonder, hmm, I wonder uh, uh, where the voice of African-American men is and if that voice was incorporated, how that might uh, further sort of influence the analysis that she offers, which is so rich and so needed uh, now. Right. But yeah, um, that's a, a very important text to consider, especially as we talk about all of these disparities that um, that the pandemic have just made um, uh, so visible. All right. So making connections. And so we you and I have talked since we did uh, two shows in particular that that have just kind of really been at the forefront of our minds since we since we hosted those shows and those two shows were on the issue of civic engagement. And then we were in conversation with uh, former mayor of New Orleans, Mitch Landrew, really on history, memory and remembrance. And you and I wanted to um, to kind of come back around to talk a little bit more in depth about those two conversations, especially around this issue of civic engagement. And and you all in the audience will remember that as we were preparing that show, really, Marcus, it was the first live show that we've done, which was live streamed on YouTube. Um, I think I had a lot of fun doing that show. It, it, you know, I had a lot of anxiety going into the show, knowing that it was live, but it was exciting to know that this, this, um, that particular conversation invited audience participation in a very different way. And so we were asking you all about civic engagement. What is civic engagement? And we were asking the question of why is civic engagement important? And Marcus, we did get some feedback from, from some folks. And But I'd love to hear your perspective on how you experienced that particular show. 
Yeah, the live show, as you pointed out, it, it was definitely a first for us. Um, and initially, I had some trepidation about uh, what it would mean and what it would be like to, for, for you and I to try to moderate, um, what was it, six panelists that we mm-hmm, had mm-hmm. Um, in three successive pairs. Uh, but but much to my delight, I think that the the conversation ended up flowing in, in a natural, cohesive way that I think was accessible to 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 our listeners. And and I think also that um, not only did I learn quite a bit about um, the topic of civic engagement from different perspectives, right? From mm-hmm. a political science perspective, from a historical perspective. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm confident that our listeners learned um, quite a bit about civic engagement yeah. as well from those from those various disciplinary perspectives. And so, uh, you know, I. I it, Having had that experience, I'm looking forward to future to future live live shows. Yeah, me too, Marcus. I was pleased to see that one uh, one person commented on our Facebook page that while she didn't get a chance to to hear the conversation because of uh, other other things on her schedule, her husband had had an opportunity to listen to the show and came away from it saying that it was one of the most inspiring events that he had actually participated in participated in. So it's great to know that these conversations are not only informative but also also, but are also in um, inspirational. I think about the conversation with Mitch Landrew, looking at the issue of history, memory, and remembrance. What you all in the audience don't know, Marcus, is that that conversation went longer than the actual show itself. We were surprised um, at the very end of that show to hear Mitch say, wait, 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 you know, I can stay for another 10 minutes. So the conversation kept going. And so I wanted to take a moment in mentioning that to uh, just uh, thank our producer too, Matt Bush, who many of you know, who did a wonderful job editing that conversation because I listened to the show after it aired and it was just remarkable how he was able to kind of put the show together despite the fact that we went way over time. But that that um, extended conversation, I think, Marcus, was just as rich as the conversation itself. Yeah, definitely. And I've, <laughs> brother, you, you will know that this has been a a theme over the course of the show's life, right? You know, we will we will plan. I mean, even back in the in, in the thirty minute <laughs> format days, right? We would we would we would plan a a very uh, um, well structured conversation, and that conversation would invariably bleed over um, into a kind of after show that, in some mm-hmm. cases, I think was even more interesting than the, than the actual recorded show. So, yeah, so, this yeah. is no surprise to me. Right. So, Marcus and I, for you all listening here today, joining us today, you we've been thinking about ways that we can capture some of those conversations as well and invite you into those conversations. But one of the things I loved about the show with Mitch was not only the stories that Mitch told, but Marcus, it kind of gave us a chance to really uh, to really home in on our commitment to bring other voices into these conversations, especially voices from a new generation, a younger generation of voices to get that perspective. And so on that show, many of you were introduced to Malia Graves, who is a second year student at UNC Charlotte. And you probably heard my brother here take a real good shot at me about trying to recruit everybody over into the history field. Um, And I'm, you know, but, you know, unfortunately, I have not been successful with Malia. She is majoring in business and pre-med. I mean, she is really, um, really showing her muscles down there at UNC Charlotte, from what I understand. And so we were glad to have her join that show. Malia is back with us again today because from time to time, Malia is going to join us as a special host on the show just to give that perspective. So, Malia, look, 
thank you for being here today. You know, how are you doing down there in Charlotte? Everything's going. We're starting to kind of feel the pickup of COVID kind of coming to its quote unquote close with the vaccine rolling out. I'm seeing people engaging in their normal day to day activities. So campus is starting to feel a little more normal if I can use that word very loosely. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're rounding the corner towards finals and everything. So Everything's going smooth down here. Thank you for having me back. Well, we're glad to have you here. And I know Marcus was excited about it, too. I just I have to ask you here at the outset, you know, how was it to be in here with these old guys? <laughs> hey, brother, speak for yourself over there. <laughs> conversations. I love talking to people who are older than me just because I think it, it just offers such an interesting like banter, such an interesting dynamic getting to provide my youthful experience and learn from people who have more experience than me. It's an interesting conversation. It always is interesting. And mm -hmm. I told, I mentioned this to you uh, before the show. I think these are the more fun parts of my day when I get okay. to sit down and actually offer my opinion, because that's not something I get to do very often uh, in classes and whatnot. So. Yeah, right. Well, I'm, I'm well, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. And I, I'm thinking Malia, you know, well, before, before I, cause I, there's a, there's a question that's been really on my mind um, for, for quite some time now, um, given that you're a college student and I'm, I'm on the, the professorial side, but before I pose that question, I have to say, um, if you haven't noticed already, um, historians are notorious for being bullies. Right. So, so, so Malia, hold the line. Uh, you will be okay. Hold the line. But um, so, 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 so you're at you're at UNC Charlotte. You have experienced this pandemic from the from the from the standpoint of a student. Um, how has that has that experience changed um, college life for you? Because you've you've had the the, the benefit, I think, of experience college both pre-pandemic. Um, in the midst of pandemic and maybe hopefully, you know, post pandemic. So, mm -hmm. so thoughts about that, Malia? Yeah, I think that the shift from in-person learning and being on campus and being a freshman, because the pandemic hit at the end of my freshman year. So I had just gotten my taste of what college was like and adjusted and everything. And then boom, you guys are going home. So that shift was extremely difficult for me. Um, I'm not going to speak for all my peers, but for the friends that I am close with, it was hard for them too. It was just getting used to, okay, we were in college and we're, we were independent and now we're home and we're having to juggle the responsibilities of being in these organizations and being in class and having to study, but we're home. So that kind of, that wasn't adding up in a way that was conducive to academic success for a lot of people. Um, I will say, however, I was lucky and I'm fortunate enough to be back on campus now. And I was able to come back um, before a lot of people were just because um, it was, my family was able to provide that for me, but um, being here definitely helped me get back into, okay, I'm in college mm -hmm. and doing my work and I need to still be involved in, on campus and really take those responsibilities seriously um, because I think it's hard to do that when you're home. And mm -hmm. that's what I'm seeing with a lot of my peers who are still at home. They're, the motivation just isn't there. It's hard to feel like you're contributing to something when you're not in that space. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, you... Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Harvey, having that perspective as a professor and you as well, um, Dr. Waters, it's it's definitely difficult to see, okay, well, how are the students going to react to this and this and this when this is such a new thing we're experiencing, right? And so I think from my perspective, my professors who, well, some of my professors did try their absolute hardest to get um, 
students' feedbacks and and just hearing, okay, is this method working for you? Mm-hmm. How can we make you feel like you're kind of in the classroom while you're sitting behind your computer? And mm-hmm. while some of them did that well, some of them didn't, and some some of them used this as an opportunity to, okay, I'm just going to throw the class into a virtual format. And some of my classes, I don't even have lectures. It's just, you need to read this piece of paper and write an essay, which as I would like to say, isn't, you're not performing your duties as a professor. Mm-hmm. So there is that, there's two sides to that coin. Some people are using this to their advantage and some people are using this as a learning experience. It just depends. But mm-hmm. overall, uh, I think me and my peers have have adjusted enough as well as we can to the situation and we're making the best of it, but it is difficult to say the least. <laughs> You're listening to the Waters and Harvey show and we're gonna take a short break and please stay with us and we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Waters and Harvey show on Blue Ridge Public Radio. We're taking the time here to reflect on some recent shows that we've done, uh, recent episodes. And, you know, Marcus, we've gotten into talking about uh, COVID. You know, we're talking about civic engagement and we're going to be talking a little bit about the conversation with Mayor Mitch Landrew. We're glad to have Malia Graves is joining us, who is going to be joining us as kind of a special guest host on the show from time to time. You all have had the opportunity to meet her before, but we're really glad that we could get her back in here today, especially as a college student who we know her schedule is very busy. She was just sharing some thoughts on, you know, what college life looks like now and during the pandemic. And, you know, Marcus, you had asked her a question about what may the long-term implications of this will be. I know these are conversations that we have been having here at the university here locally at UNC Asheville. I mean, you have been teaching online. I had to move to that modality uh, last uh, spring. Um, And it's been a transition. And I think it's going to have some long-term impact on on higher education and and I hope in some good ways so it's going this invites a longer conversation and I really appreciate uh, the perspective that you just offered uh, there uh, Malia because it gives us a lot to think about I would love to take the time to kind of turn a little bit to the, the to the issue of civic engagement and those framing questions again that we asked in that those two shows Marcus you know what is civic engagement and why is civic engagement important I mean we're hoping you know especially post-pandemic and looking at the things that happened earlier in the year. Uh, this year, January 6th, invited that conversation around civic engagement. What does uh, civic engagement look like? Last year, we saw citizens in the street protesting the death of, uh, of George Floyd. That really galvanized the country and many local communities in a lot of ways that invited us to have that, that deeper conversation. And we we did ask you all in the audience to to give us your thoughts about what civic engagement was. And we did get some really interesting uh, responses. We weren't able to address all of those, Marcus, as you will recall in the show when we did the live show. And you and I said that we wanted to come back to them. I, you know, Marcus, there was a converse, there was a comment that came in from uh, one member about our audience, who is Kathy Marth. I believe that's the way she pronounces her name. And she had written in to say that her definition of civic engagement, that it means to explore and create a common language that allows us to collectively mature as a community of interdependent human beings. So when I read that, Marcus, the, the words that stuck out to me, a common language, 
you know, and interdependence. You and I have talked a lot about that. I think in in a recent show, probably the show that we uh, did with the Friday Fellows not too long ago, because the Friday Fellowship focuses on deepening the sense of community, building relationships among people. We we quoted John Hope Franklin, and John Hope Franklin in that last paragraph of the first chapter of his book uses that word interdependence, and how he his life was so much uh, was so enriched by the interdependence that he came to see that we had we all have on each other so i really appreciated kathy's comment that she sent in there was one other if you if i could just take a minute just to kind of reference it here from grant uh, down in chapel chapel hill and he said that and i'm not going to read his whole statement it, it was a, a pretty lengthy statement but we really appreciated it but what was what was important about it is that he was saying early on he thought about civic engagement to him it meant voting just voting for people you know who are going to represent you but he's come to see especially over the course of last year and all of the activity in the seat in the streets that civic engagement is much more in depth and deeper than that and i think it goes to the heart of what you and i uh, wanted to do with the waters and harvest show is to deepen people's understanding of, of this particular issue in a way yeah and i i this is a really these are two really interesting comments and i'm i'm thinking particularly about um I, uh, Kathy's formulation or her, her her understanding of civic engagement as the work or to use my term the labor of really constructing a, a common language that recognizes our interdependence as citizens and and I think this the, these two these two terms here common and interdependence are terms that as Americans ah, we don't like that too much right? because because <laughs> because you know because because you know uh, part of what I think defines American uh, socialization in life and it is a kind of rugged belief in individualism. I'm an individual. I'm an independent individual. And I need not be um, codependent or interdependent on anyone. So uh, here you are, Kathy, here you are, Drs. Waters, Waters and Harvey, asking me to think about um, civic engagement as a kind of interdependent form of labor <laughs> that requires me to engage in the frustrating and sometimes flat out annoying and infuriating process of trying to build a common language with my fellow. You know, this is this is a very challenging and I think thoughtful way of of approaching this question of civic engagement. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, that despite the fact that, that that I think many Americans will chafe at this at this way of conceiving um, or defining civic engagement, mm -hmm. I think perhaps, uh, you know, thinking about it this way is probably more needed now than it ever has been in the country's right. history. And I think yeah. it, it, it'll be interesting to see whether or not uh, Americans can kind of rise up uh, to that kind of standard of situation right. that, Kat, that Kathy is kind of, you know, she, she kind of is laid a gauntlet, so to speak. Yep, yep. And so, Malia, I'm watching you shake your head, you know, uh, especially in reference to these words. And so I want to invite your your comment here. Um, you know, what do you think about what Kathy and what Grant had to say here? Yeah, I think those the words that continuously pop out in me every time you say them, it's the, the individualism and the just this idea that Americans have to be a singular, like I am an American, like not we are Americans. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, a lot of the conversation surrounding that, at least in my head, stems from our history of divide, just 
you know, I, we, we've talked about this a little bit in the conversation with um, Mayor Mitch Landrew, but it it's difficult to reform this entire kind of way of looking at it if how we've been looking at it is through this lens of we're trying to fight for equality. And if we're still stuck in that mindset of we're not all equal and we're not going to be able to get there until we all separate and then fight and let's butt heads and fight for what we're asking for, it's hard to kind of look at this as a, as a collective issue. So I think that's the lens in which we're kind of looking through this and in which we've kind of been looking um, at this issue. I think, um, in the conversation that you had with Miranda and Seth, that mm-hmm. that conversation for me was really inspiring because they were saying a lot of things I was thinking about when I was in high school and just be, coming to college and seeing how I can implement those things. It's inspiring to hear that they're already thinking about that in, mm-hmm. in high school. Right. So, like, I, I know that Miranda said um, she said something that really spoke to me about the new methods of civic engagement Mm -hmm. and she she was talking about how everyone it looks different for everybody and I think in these conversations when we're talking about that it's it's definitely worth looking at how okay we can't call it by one name because it has several different names right Mm -hmm. like how uh Dr. Harvey was talking about with the protests um surrounding the um George Floyd incident right Mm -hmm. that it was very reactional and everyone had their own response, right? So for me, I'm home. I couldn't, you know, you, my parents weren't about to let me go out into the streets and, and and do anything physical related to this. So I'm home and I'm like, what can I do to kind of speak on this? And what can I do to to show my, my support without putting myself in danger? And for me, it was social media. That's all I had. That was, and for a lot of people my age, I know that that is a very common response to things like this. Let's post about it. Let's talk about it. But then you reach that issue of, okay, well, everyone has these different overlapping opinions. And when we're just talking and these opinions are not, they're not converging anywhere. Where do we start to solve the issue? Where does this commonality even come into play? I like this issue that you're bringing up here, uh, Malia, about different forms of civic engagement. There are different ways to do that. Grant is essentially addressing that as saying, okay, I'm, I'm thinking about this in a much broader sense now, thinking about it differently. And, and Malia, it strikes me too that something that you're saying here as well is that we spend a lot of time talking. Right. Yeah. But not really listening, listening to each other. And how well are we listening? And brother Marcus, you have addressed this. And I think in a very poetic way in, on a number of the shows about the need to listen, to listen to people's stories. That story is the gateway into relationship, the gateway into a sense of community. And so I'm reminded of that, you know, uh, of the importance there. How well are we listening to each other? Uh not so great <laughs> from, from, from my vantage point. Uh, although I do think that, you know, the country is at a precipice point in its history where, um, you know, our, 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 our arms are sort of being twisted <laughs> by, by the pandemic and by, um, you know, the, the, the social and political upheaval. And so we're, we're really being challenged to make a choice, right? Are mm-hmm. you going to do the hard work of listening? Um, are you going to commit to the labor of civic engagement as Kathy discusses it? Or are you not? Mm-hmm. Um, and, but something I, I would add to this, to this question of, um, of thinking about civic engagement in terms of commonality and interdependence. And I'm brother, I'm, I'm curious to get your take on this, Malia, you as well. Um, but I'm thinking about, because uh, uh, I just discussed this in my class last week, but I'm thinking about 
um, the the impact that um, that American Cold War politics after after World War II had on uh, America's sort of political and social consciousness, uh, particularly around um, issues of, of of interdependence, mm-hmm. sharing. Um, wealth distribution and a whole host of other issues, and I'm I'm wondering if this language of 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 commonality and interdependence might be heard by some people who, as oh, you know, that that, that sounds uh, socialist yeah. to me. That sounds that sounds communistic, right? You know, that's that's not who we are as Americans. As Americans, we are kind of as Malia was saying, we are individuals. Mm-hmm. We're not, you know, we we can choose to be interdependent. But uh, but but that but that choice remains our choice. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just wondering if there's a way in which kind of the, the residue of Cold War America uh, may serve as a kind of obstacle right? yeah, I mean, to, you know. to, to, to the type of civic engagement um, that Kathy uh, describes. Right, Marcus, I think that you're right. You bring up an interesting point because I think, you know, the Cold, Cold War politics, so it's a turning point. It was a paradigm shift. And I think the way that we really thought about ourselves as as a country, as Americans. Um, and so you, you're, you're raising an interesting point for me, especially as a historian who focuses on the pre, you know, Cold War period, looking at the, the early 20th century, the late 19th century, or just the 19th century in and of itself, that that period, you know, when the nation was still very young and what was happening. I spent a lot of time, Marcus, you know, as you know, because we talk about this a lot and we've brought it up on the show of really going back to the early documents um, uh, of American history. I mean, so in response to your question and on this idea of individualism and and seeing this idea of trying to find the common language and Malia, you talking about we as Americans, you know, if people find that language troubling and that there's something almost socialistic about it, and we could throw out the word communistic here, I would say, look, you need to go back and read some of the early documents of American history. Why don't you go back and read John Winthrop's letter aboard this, uh, his uh, sermon aboard the Arabella and how he talks about community. Community is used in that document no more than 10 times. And he talks about interdependence, that this was the idea that they that they brought with them when they came uh, and uh, to um, to New England. Go back and read George Washington's first, uh, his farewell address and how he talks about interdependence and the need for us to be, to recognize and be uh, the we, that the we that is in the Constitution was something that he saw as fundamentally important to how we would be shaped as a nation as we move forward. So I would encourage people to go back and read these early documents. I'll even go read, you know, uh, the Gettysburg Address and see what uh, Lincoln actually says there about a rebirth of freedom and a government for the people. He talks about it in terms of a we. Um, And so I think that we need to sometimes go back to those early documents. And Marcus here, I was hoping that this would be maybe one of the first shows that I would get through without going to Alexis de Tocqueville. That's never going to happen. Yeah, (laughs) but it looks like you have (laughs) drugged me into it (laughs) here. But he talks about it. He talks about this as well, that, um, that this idea 
you know, uh, around the Constitution itself, around community, you know, was one of the things that he found it found so uh, instructive about early America and how we actually function. So I would encourage people to go back and read these documents and and tell me what impression of America do you get from reading these early founding documents? Yeah, yeah. But but I, I, I hear that. But I also wonder, um, I wonder if those early ideals about um, regarding American community. You mentioned John Winthrop, you mentioned Abraham Lincoln and others. Um, I wonder if those ideas, if that vision of America is compatible with American free market <laughs> capitalism, because American capitalism is highly individualistic. And um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering if, um, if what Kathy would call uh, interdependent civic engagement is compatible with American capitalism, because if it's not, then I think we have we have a problem on our hands that we kind of have to think carefully about, uh, because it's one thing to to say, yes, we should think of civic engagement in um, in communal or common interdependent terms. That's mm-hmm. one thing. But it's another thing to try to practice civic engagement in that way uh, within a democratic free market capitalist mm-hmm. society. Um, and and I, I, you know, I, I think that's just a major challenge that we, we haven't necessarily thought carefully through. Uh, but I'm curious to hear if, if Malia, I saw Malia shaking her head. She, she did. I'm, I'm curious to hear if she has any thoughts about this as a, as a business major over there. Yeah, and I want. Yeah, Malia. Yeah, I want to give you a chance to respond, but I do have yeah. to just tell our audience Malia is quite animated over there right now. You know, so some things are being said here that are really, I think, you know, snapping in her head. So Malia, by all means, please jump in here. You, you both said so many things that are overlapping, kind of what I'm learning about in school right now. So I, I'm in an LBST with liberal studies class called uh, Western History and Culture. And so in this class, we're basically analyzing all these old documents, right? And and going through and writing essays, discussion posts, all that kind of stuff about it. And, you know, we looked at the Gettysburg Address. We looked at um, different documents kind of dating back to when the country was build, being founded and all this. And the lens that I always find myself looking through whenever I'm analyzing these documents is the lens of a black woman the or the lens of a black person. And what's difficult about me always being stuck in that kind of viewpoint is that I'm always like, hmm, but what do you mean when you say we? Because a lot of the discussion posts that I've made, I emphasize, but who are they talking about? Because when even when analyzing the things that Abraham Lincoln did through his career and the things that he was saying, I'm I'm pointing out and I'm co- I'm constantly being aware of. He's not talking about my people, though. He's and and even when he started to kind of engage in these conversations of of liberation for slaves, it was still under the context of but let's protect the country first. And I think uh, when Dr. Harvey started to kind of bring that into the conversation of capitalism and American individualism, the first thing that that popped into my head was, well, we have no choice but to be every man for himself in this country because we've never truly been united. And I think we started on, you know, it, it goes back to that, to the founding documents being founded, the, the foundation being, right, this division. And how do we overcome this division in a way that's still, that still uh, caters to uh, the country before it caters to the oppressed. So I think when looking at that and, and now we're, we're talking about civic engagement and hearing the conversation that y'all had, uh, the live show, I remember Tracy Green Washington spoke very vividly about, uh, well, 
a lot of our conversations surrounding civic engagement are geared towards black indigenous people of color. And Mm -hmm. it it all circles back around to how did this country start? And then, Mm -hmm. you know, that it's kind of like this circle in my head, as you all were talking, it was going around and around a cycle, right? Because it just hits all these points and they're all so interconnected that it's like, where do we detour? Where can we actually start to, to mend these, mend these issues that, are literally worked into the foundation of the country. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm thinking about as y'all are talking. <laughs> well, again, for those of you just joining us, I want to remind you that you're listening to the Waters and Harvey show, and we're going to take a short break. Please stay with us. You're listening to The Waters and Harvey Show on Blue Ridge Public Radio. We're reflecting on some of our recent episodes about civic engagement, the pandemic, and Confederate monuments. And we want to thank you all for staying with us. And Marcus, that gives us an opportunity because I think it connects up with the conversation that we had with Mitch Landro. Wonderful show, a fun show to do. A side part about that show, a backstory on that on that show is that Mitch was, as you can hear in the show, if you listen to the show, he was just thrilled to have Malia as a part of that conversation. And Malia, I, you know, th- there are a number of things that Mitch actually said, and he he addressed the issue of civic engagement um, in the opening of that show. So he talked about it and his family has a long history of being civically engaged, not only in the state of Louisiana, but in throughout the country, his his uh, sister, Mary Landrew, served as a senator, United States senator uh, from Louisiana. His father was governor, uh, a mayor of New Orleans. He was lieutenant governor. So there's there's a deep tradition of being engaged politically in that family. But he was really taken uh, with you and just your your poise, the questions that you were at, uh, asking. Now, Marcus and I got an email from, from Mitch's people the very next day asking, you know, I want to talk to Malia. So um, you had a conversation with Mitch one-on-one. You want to share a little bit about that conversation with uh, with the audience? Yeah, yeah, it was it was really helpful for me. Um, he, he kind of started the conversation off by saying, you know, wow, I'm just, I'm so he, it invigorates him to talk to young people essentially. And his whole mission from just from getting to talk to him and during the show and afterwards seems to be, how do I get these, get the youth to carry on my mission? Because, you know, and I do think that that's an important conversation, but specifically uh, what he kind of went into was, how do I, because I, I posed a question during the, um, during our show that we did. Mm-hmm. And I, I asked him, well, how do you go about having tough conversations when you're the only one willing to have them, right? When there's mm-hmm. no one to back you up, how do you even begin to do that? Because for me, that's scary. You know, as, as poised as I may sound, it's still scary for me to be the only one holding an opinion in the room. And he, mm-hmm. he provided, he was kind enough to provide his insight on that and drop kind of some words of wisdom for me, um, talking about how you're going to eventually be the only one in the room to stand up for what's right. And, mm-hmm. and while that may be difficult, he gave me some tools I could use, um, whether it is starting from the inside and working your way up or just starting something new altogether. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to be the pioneer and it's gonna be hard and it might be scary and you might be all alone. But as he said with his anecdote about you know the bully and the person being 
kind of overtaken and whether or not you have that split second of, am I going to step in? And I think that overlaps so smoothly with our conversation about civic engagement. Mm -hmm. because He's saying, well, if you're not going to be the one to do it, then who is, right? Like, mm -hmm. if you're not going to be the brave one to say, well, this is the, the, the cause here is worth more than my Mm -hmm. kind of four or five minutes of fear or my four or five minutes of discomfort. And that that conversation was really helpful for me just because, you know, being on a college campus and sometimes, it's, especially during the pandemic, it's lonely. It's hard to find. It's all hard to always be surrounded by like minded people. And that's not realistic at all. Mm -hmm. um, but especially me choosing to come to a PWI, I'm going to almost always be, you know, one of the only ones like me in the room. And mm -hmm. while that is daunting, he definitely he definitely kind of reinforced that idea of that's okay and that's how it should be if you're going to change anything that is how you should feel right. that's kind of yeah. how that conversation went with him yeah well said Malia. and i'm i'm reminded of um the story that mitch the mayor mitch landrew told um regarding uh his decision to to remove the the confederate monuments right so you'll you'll recall that uh he was boyhood friends with uh winton marsalis the great jazz musician Mm -hmm. And uh, he had approached Winton about uh, helping him revitalize New Orleans. And, and, and Winton said, well, I will help you if you take down some of these monuments. Right. Um, and, and at that point, I was saying, Malia, uh, Mayor Landrew was presented with a choice. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, because this was not a widely popular decision. Exactly. And so the question for him was, OK, what am I going to do? Am, am, am I going to be to sort of use your 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 um uh your example, Malia? Am I going to be the only voice in the room, so to speak, um on this issue, mm -hmm. uh, or am I going to sort of toe the party line? Mm -hmm. And I think in this particular case, um, he opted to kind of be the only voice in the room because I think he perceived very keenly what was at stake. What was at stake was the future of New Orleans, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. What was at stake was um and I, I think on some level what public policy in that city might look like moving forward, right? For black and brown people, um, et cetera. And, and going back to civic engagement more broadly, I would just um, just emphasize that uh, for those who, who still don't really see uh, um, the, the point, right? And, and giving so much time civic engagement into, into investing so much energy, energy in it, what's at stake is, is what public policy looks like mm -hmm, <laughs> right, moving mm -hmm. forward, right? Because I think, um, uh, I can't recall if this was during the show or in the sort of after show conversation, but, but Mitch made a really good point that stuck with me. And I, it, it, was, it was around the question of why he decided to, to go into politics. And so he said, you know, well, I just, I just made a decision that, you know, look, I, I want to be at the table <laughs> when mm -hmm. conversations are being had about the rules that govern my life, <laughs> right? right? So, so that's what's uh, what was at stake for, for for him, and I think that what that was at stake for all of us is is the shape of public policy, all right, and and how that you know can can or how that will impact our lives. All right, yeah, it, you know, Marcus, the point that you're making there, and Malia, thinking about your. Um, your reflection on your conversation with Mitch, you know, Mitch was talking about leadership and what leadership looks like. And Marcus, you know, you you and I have had conversations on the show about leadership and the conversations we were in with uh, with Ed Manning, with Leadership Asheville, you know, trying to build a more collaborative model of leadership. Um, 
models of leadership and what that looks like moving forward. You know, how do we uh, galvanize a community as leaders? One of the things that I found so interesting about what Mitch said as well is that he was willing to pay to pay homage, um, uh, homage to to those who had gone before him. And Mark is thinking about the fact that, you know, we can be such an ahistorical community, our country. We don't really want to think about history. I found it really uh, instructive that he was willing to give some sense of praise to those who went before him, recognizing that he stood on the shoulders of some really strong and tall giants. So it, it was this connection, seeing this connection between the past, the present, and the future, and thinking in those terms. And we need a type of leadership that thinks that way. Mark, as I, as, as I think about that here, I can't help but think about the show that we did where you said, you know, we have very few examples of this type of leadership where a person who has the ability to look both back and forward at the same time. And in that show, I think I referenced Lincoln as one of those unique figures who was able to do that. You know, are we building that type of leadership? You know, Mitch, clearly was articulating that particular vision of leadership. How well are we doing building that type, that model of leadership going forward? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that it's a, it's a, it certainly is a, a growing edge uh, for the country right now. I know in previous shows um, where we, where we discussed um, uh, uh, leadership models mm -hmm. um, that, that we found um, particularly exceptional um, and models that this country could perhaps benefit from. Um, I mentioned Nelson Mandela, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And partly because, you know, Nelson Mandela was consistently willing to be the only voice in the room, mm -hmm. um, even if it meant going to prison, mm -hmm. right? And, and I think that, that kind of um, that kind of political courage Right, um, is is very much um, needed here, mm -hmm. and, and and thinking about this um this 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 question of of uh, of, of 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 individualism um, and and of, uh, of of thinking about civic engagement in communal terms, I'm actually reminded of of an African proverb that I've encountered in my own um, in my own research, um, and it also it also connects, brother, to your point about. Um, standing on the shoulders of those who've gone before. Mm -hmm. Basically, the uh, the proverb rendered in English goes, um, we stay in the world two by two. Mm -hmm. We stay in the world two by two, which basically means whether we like it or not, um, we exist in relationship with one another. Mm -hmm. All right. And what we decide to do with that relationship is entirely up to us. Um, but it becomes problematic when we try to pretend as if we exist in a way that is non-relational, mm -hmm. right? In a way that is not connected to what has gone before, what is over here, what is what is in front of us. And so um, I think it's important to remember that, you know, hey, you know, for whether we like it or not, we stay in the world two by two. All right. Yep. Um, and, and, and those who are sort of behind us, with us, and, 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 and who will be in front of us are going to play a major role um, in helping us craft the world that we want. Yeah, I mean, you know, Marcus, I'm curious to think about, you know, the point that you just made. This is a deep, deep, rich point and two things, um, you know, Malia, and I want to give you an opportunity to jump back in here to think about this leadership model. How well are we doing, especially on college campuses today and actually helping to cultivate this type of leadership? Well, Marcus, it, it just reminds me, it makes me wonder, you know, this African proverb that you've referred to, how that might be able to frame the conversations that we as a community community are going to need to have going forward. Because in a few minutes here, you and I are going to talk a little bit about what, 
what is coming down the pike, conversations that we we are going to be having, uh, especially around the issue of reparations. But Malia, to give you a quick minute here to, to respond to that, how, how well are we doing even on college campuses in helping to cultivate this type of leadership, leadership that's more collaborative and and um, that that will help us kind of build, I, you know, hopefully a, a stronger, a stronger sense of community among ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that on my college campus, at least one of the biggest ally, well, one of the most prominent allies are our faculty, not even necessarily professors, but just faculty who are working in the departments of diversity, inclusion, different programs that are for freshmen and, and the like. And having relationships with those people, it helps us have a voice because they have a voice in the rooms that we're not necessarily allowed to enter. So I think that we're doing better than we have in the past. Um, I think as with anything, there's always going to be improvement that Mm -hmm. needs to be had, but in terms of this kind of broader idea of at least giving us a voice that that you two have been doing so graciously with me, um, Mm -hmm. it, Faculty is definitely a biggest, our biggest supporter. I think that even with my organizations that I'm involved in, it's so, it's so great and supportive to have somebody there who's older and able to say, okay, well, I'm going to stand there by y'all. I'm going to let you have the voice. You're going to say what you want to say, but I'll be the one to carry it through. I'll be the one to help you decide. Is this something that's going to go over well? Is this not going to really be efficient on campus? So I think we're doing an okay job in that regard. In terms of leadership way up above, I'm not so sure, but mm-hmm. I, that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's interesting. How does it, how does leadership change, you know, the higher up you go, you know, yeah. and Marcus, I'm because Marcus, you know, this, the, you, you were really struck by what Seth said, both Seth and Miranda, who are engaged in leadership roles with their teachers, actually helping their teachers to kind of understand, you know, uh, being in a teaching role to help their teachers understand, you know, some of the racial issues that they may not be aware of. So you found it interesting that that type of relationship is being allowed to kind of exist in that space. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we can't talk about leadership without talking about power dynamics. Right. And this and this is really why I, I found Seth's, uh, Seth and Miranda's um, comments um, about around teaching teachers to be so important. Right. Because mm-hmm. I think, again, that in, in this country and uh, within this country's educational system, we are kind of socialized to, to, to perceive teachers and professors as really as 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 authority figures who, mm-hmm. sort of, who stand in front of us and sort of declare thus saith whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we really don't don't really do we think of them, at least as students. I mean, maybe I'm wrong about this, Malia, but really do we think of them as students um, as persons? From um, that we can uh, teach, right? Um, as persons that can learn from us, and so you know, I, I think it's important to to, to think about um, leadership as collaborative, mm-hmm. right? So, so in a sense, yes, I mean, a professor is a kind of leader. Teachers are leaders, but their leadership is practiced in collaboration with students, mm-hmm. right? So, I I think that what is needed is 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 a move in the direction of collaborative, courageous leadership. Right. Um, that, that, that takes a plurality of voices seriously. And Marcus, I believe our institutions of, uh, you know, just educational institutions in general are going to play a key role in this. And especially, you know, for us being in higher ed 
how it will higher institutions of higher education step up to the plate in, uh, with regard to this. And, and the educated citizenry is important to the whole concept of democracy. And Thomas Jefferson, you know, made that made that statement um, in uh, back in uh, 17, 1817. He said, you know, we have to have an educated citizenry. So as we come down on the last few minutes of the show here, Marcus, one thing we want to talk about coming conversations, we're going to be having a coming conversation around civic, uh, around not only civic engagement, but around the question of reparations and, you know, which is talking about repair. What is it that we need to repair? Uh, What will civic engagement look like around this question and issue? And I think Marcus and I would love for you all to be thinking about that. Um, we're going to be talking about questions coming up in later shows that we might want you to be thinking about around this whole issue of reparations. And, and knowing that reparations, the conversations that are going on right now are not new. This has been something that has been going on since the end of the Civil War and Reconstruction. Um, so Marcus and I will are planning, we're going to be hosting a live show on Blue Ridge Public Radio's YouTube channel, the same way we did around the conversation on civic engagement on May 20th. So we want you all in the audience to begin thinking about these questions now, and we're going to look forward to you all in joining that conversation as well. But as we come down on the close of the show, Malia, we want to thank you for taking the time to join us again today. We look forward to having you involved in conversations as we go forward, because I think that perspective that you're bringing to the table is so important. And I know that Marcus has enjoyed it. I can tell by the expressions on his face and how animated he has been today in this conversation that he's enjoyed having you here. But as we close out, Marcus and I want to take the time to remind you that the Waters and Harvest Show is produced at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina, in partnership with the Institute for the Promotion of Human Understanding. And you can listen to our podcast on BPR.org, the BPR and NPR One mobile apps, and on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. And remember, you can follow us and get in touch on Facebook and Twitter or write us at whshow at bpr.org. And we'll look forward to joining you again the next time. Take care. Take care.